Because God knows everything, he's already determined from the foundation of the world all that is to happen. He has decreed every motion of man. He has decreed every thought, word, and deed. He's even foreordained eternal destinies. Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in the Wilkes-Barre and the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, then stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski. I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. And if you miss the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform, YouTube, and Gab TV at 9 a.m. every Sunday, where these are uploaded and you'll find other content in there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com and on Facebook, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube at God's Resistance, spelled G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. And you'll find us in person every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. in the Wilkes-Barre Public Square and late afternoon to early evening on Sundays, all weather permitting. Uh, So if you want to worship with other believers, then contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. So last time we were talking about the, this is all under the umbrella of unconditional election. Uh, Last time we were talking about the sovereignty of God because that is the foundation and basis uh, of this unconditional election. Before we get started, I just want to bring some resources before you. I have been greatly helped in my study uh, by these. This is A.M. Hills, excuse me, A.M. Hills. Fundamental Christian Theology, Volume 2, very good. Uh, Then we've got the foundation of Augustinian uh, Calvinism. I have not read this entirely yet, but it seems like a very good book. It is by Ken Wilson, uh, and that's an abridged version version of some really uh, heavy scholarship uh, that's supposed to be more readable for the normal person like you and I. Then Creeds in Contrast by Dale Yoakum, a study in Calvinism and Arminianism, and those two are compared. This is an excellent resource. And then one I have yet to read, but has been highly recommended to me uh, by David Berceau, Will the Real Heretics Please Stand Up? A New Look at Today's Evangelical Church in the Light of Early Christianity and Refuting that the Early Church Did Not Believe Calvinism at Large. There may have been some people here or there that had some of those ideas, but at large not. I have quoted at length from various different resources throughout here, so I just want to give honor to whom honors do right from the beginning. And I did not try to put everything always into my own words when there were certain quotations because they say them better and more succinctly than I can. But I have compiled all this together and hope that it will be a help to you in this further study. So we are picking up in unconditional election this morning looking at the idea of foreordaining and predestining, the foreordination or predestination uh, of God. Then we are going to look at it first from the Calvinistic perspective. 
Remember when I started last time, I said these are heathen philosophy hangovers, at large Greek philosophy hangovers, and it's now dressed in different clothes, Calvinistic clothes, but it's not a biblical teaching. So Calvinists, as far as foreordination and uh, predestination are concerned, I'm going to um, just read from the Westminster Larger Catechism, and um, some of it may be the condensed version, the shorter catechism. I've just got various different quotations here. So it says, by or God, by an eternal uh, and immutable or unchangeable decree, out of his mere love for the praise of his glorious grace to be manifested in due time, hath elected some angels to glory, and in Christ hath chosen some men to eternal life, and the means thereof, and also according to his sovereign power and the unsearchable counsel of his own will, whereby he extendeth or withholdeth favor as he pleaseth, as, as he pleases hath passed by and foreordained the rest to dishonor and wrath and to be for their sin inflicted to the praise of the glory of his justice. So Calvin, he says, God foresees the things which are to happen simply because he has decreed that they are to happen. Uh, so predestination, by predestination, uh, we mean, this is Calvin, the eternal decree of God by which the determined by which he, God, determined with himself whatever he wished to happen with regard to every man. All are not created on equal terms, but some are preordained to eternal life, others to eternal damnation. Such election was made without reference to anything foreseen in the individuals, either good or bad, but simply as an expression of God's sovereign right to do anything he chose concerning his creatures and to magnify his justice. Remember, we said that that is not why God rules and reigns just to show how mighty he is. He rules according to his revealed character. The logical conclusion of what Calvinists said is that God causes sin. Now, Calvinists would say, no, that's we don't believe that. But if you were to take this and just bring it to its full end by, by just bare logic, that's where it lands. God not only foresaw the fall of the first man and in him the ruins of his posterity, but also at his own pleasure, he arranged it. This is Calvin. This includes the damnation of the non-elect infants. So foreknowledge in the Calvinist's mind is anything that is foreseen uh, is because of absolute certainty. The foreknowledge of God, according to Calvinists, is a result of God's certain decree. He didn't, it's not that God foreknew and then told us what happened. He determined what was going to happen. And then that's why he foreknows. Uh, J. Dwight Pentecost said, foreknowledge says nothing of what God knew the individual would do, but foreknowledge has to do with what he would, he would do with men. So what a, what a crazy picture really of foreordaining or of foreknowledge and, and predestination. So the summary of Calvinists, uh, of foreknowledge and predestination is as follows. Uh, God's predestination means that from all eternity, he has determined simply from his own sovereign will, every event, whatever, but particularly concerning, concerning human salvation or damnation, his foreknowledge arises from his predestination. He knows what will occur because he has decreed it shall. Now, I have pulled from the Westminster Confession, Calvin himself, and uh, Dwight Pentecost. These are, these are not people that were hid in a corner. These are what people have said. These are what people have based currently and, you know, in the, 
you know, years following Calvin and his teaching, this is what people have believed the Bible to say. They have followed after these men and said they declare that this is what the scriptures teach and say. Um, and you may be listening to this and think, this is insanity. I would agree with you. So what is, this is the Calvinistic position of the foreordination and predestination of God. Uh, what is the biblical position? That should be what we ourselves are wanting and longing to know. So we are going to start with the biblical position here. Um, and I would just say for anybody who is wanting to study this more in depth, <clears throat> excuse me, you should definitely read Arminius's Declaration of Sentiments. And so this is, and that's against Calvinistic predestination. Now, some people would say Arminianism is akin to um, biblical. There may be some things that Arminius taught that the Bible doesn't either. But I do believe that as he was trying to work these things out and fighting against the Calvinistic uh, doctrine of his day, he first ascribed to this Calvinistic doctrine. And then as he tried to study it out and he was going to be teaching others, he soon found out that it was not what the scriptures spoke. And because of conscience, he decided to then write against these things. And he was tried as a heretic and all sorts of trouble ensued because of his belief. Unfortunately, he has been smeared and things have been attributed to him that he did not, that he did not believe or say. And I suppose in all fairness, that could happen to Calvin as well. However, we have um, quoted Calvin and the Westminster Confessions, which came from Calvin's um, teachings and such. We're trying to quote them so as to let these people speak for themselves. Um, so Arminius then wrote against Calvinistic predestination and gave various different reasons as to why that was not so. It is against the gospel call of repentance and faith followed by a promise of eternal life. Why? Because if God has already predestined some to heaven and some to hell, what is the purpose or the utility of the gospel call to repent and believe on the name of the Son of God? Why do we even need that if it's already since the beginning of time predetermined who will and who won't and there's nothing we can do to change that? God doesn't even change it. So that goes against the gospel call. Also, none of the respected teachers of the church for the first 600 years taught this doctrine, uh, this Calvinistic doctrine of predestination. Um, and you can look that up. There's a great book that I also have by David Berceau. Uh, it's more of a dictionary of the early Christian beliefs. So you can look at things topically. It's probably not exhaustive, but it is a good start and helps to springboard you for further study on some of the early church fathers and what they believed. But uh, the claim is that uh, from Arminius that no, no fathers for the first 600 years taught this. It wasn't until Augustine really brought these things out into the forefront and then people started to believe. And by the way, Augustine... Uh, the reason that we can't find a lot of good writings on certain things beforehand, or even why perhaps Pelagius was smeared in a certain direction uh, that I believe he was even misrepresented, is because Augustine burned the documents of people that disagreed with him. And so we don't really have as many extant documents or as many documents uh, to the contrary of Augustine's position solely because of the power and influence that he had and burning everything else that people had said. But Jerome, who um, wasn't was considered orthodox in the early Christian church, said that he found no heresy in Pelagius whatsoever. That's an entirely different discussion. The argument that people say against Pelagianism and Pelagius and what he said, 
may have some merit to it. The problem is, is that they are saying Pelagius said such and such without that being entirely accurate. Um, totally different discussion. Uh, and the, I believe that book by Ken Wilson would be a help to you. I'll try and put those down in the description uh, for those of you that may be watching this on YouTube later, and you can click on links to, to find these things yourself. Uh, also, Arminius said that this doctrine of predestination is contrary to the justice of God. Of course it is. If God, according to his arbitrary design or will, uh, just chose to the praise of, the, of his glorious justice, which is, is a heretical thing to even say and a monstrous thing to even say, but that is what's said of him. If that is the reason uh, he had chosen some people to heaven and some to hell without anything to do with their own choices or the foreknowledge of it or anything, but just simply to, to display his glorious power and justice, it already flies in the face of justice because now he's going to hold people responsible for things that they can't really be held responsible to because they had no choice. God did all this. This was God's choice. It has nothing to do with mankind. And so how can God be just to damn people to hell that had no choice other than what God made them do? That's why it's contrary to the justice of God. This is why this is such an important issue because with this resurgence of Calvinism again coming up in our day and people looking for biblical answers, they're going to flock to people that appear to be teaching the Bible verse by verse and book by book. And then they're going to get this ugly caricature of God that is totally foreign to the scripture and totally foreign to the first 600 years of Christianity. It's also contrary, according to Arminius, to the goodness of God. God cannot be called good if he's going to punish people for things that he himself made them do. I mean, if that was if that was the case with a parent in our culture right now, and I believe I, I have an illustration quoted from somebody that I'll get to later, it's it's just it insults the mind, it insults the sense of justice and goodness and right. Also, the Calvinistic doctrine of predestination changes the nature of sin. The merits of sin is death because of a result of a person's free choice, according to the scripture. But Calvinists teach that sin is a result of the unalterable decree and predetermination of God. So it changes the whole nature of sin. How can anybody, as, as I said in the previous episode, how can anybody, according to Justin Martyr, be either accused or excused? They have no merit or demerit whatsoever because God did it all for him. It, it doesn't make any sense. It changes the nature of sin. Also, the Calvinistic doctrine of predestination is against the nature of divine grace. It is blasphemous to say that this is all done to the praise of his glorious grace because it is a heinous picture of God and a heinous transgression of all reason and intellect and morality and the revelation of God. This is against the nature of divine grace. Divine grace enables uh, people, believers, uh, that will to have repentance and faith toward God. It enables people to will, to, to say, I am not going to go this way. I have a heart of repentance toward God and I'm going to believe God. And then the grace of God in answer to their repentance and faith then changes the person. But the Calvinistic grace removes our free will and makes it impossible for us by the aid of grace to even choose God at all because you know, God's doing everything for us. We're the puppets and he's the puppet master. This is a terrible picture of God and the predestination doctrine is against the nature of divine grace. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. 
You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. Visit and like our social media accounts with Facebook, Twitter, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube. Visit our website at www.godsresistance.com and contact us by email at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. So before the break, I left off with that the doctrine, the Calvinistic doctrine of, of predestination um, is against the nature of divine grace, according to Arminius. He also said that this doctrine is dishonorable to Jesus Christ. This Calvinistic confession, uh, the Westminster, plainly states that Jesus is introduced as a means to accomplish what God had already determined should be done. Rather than Jesus being the source of election, he's just a mere tool for its end, and that is dishonorable to Jesus Christ. This doctrine of Calvinistic predestination damages the biblical doctrine of salvation for sinful men. Men, according to the scriptures, are held responsible for their sins through excuse me, not according to scripture, according to Calvinism, men are held responsible for their sins through an unavoidable necessity by the decree of God. God decreed it and then God says, oh, by the way, you're going to hell for my choice, for, for my choices for you. Where is personal responsibility in that? If God has decreed men to be who they are without any foreknowledge of their choices, where is personal responsibility? So it damages the biblical doctrine of salvation uh, for sinful men. It also inverts the order of the gospel. The gospel says, believe and thou shalt live. Calvinism says, since it is my will to give thee life, it is therefore my will to give thee faith. Where's personal responsibility? It inverts the gospel order. It also subverts the foundation for all true religion. God says he loves righteousness and hates wickedness. In the Calvinistic system, the only way he can display his love towards righteousness and hate towards wickedness is by causing some to be righteous or wicked and then loving or hating them respectively. There's no glory to God when he is the one responsible for all of this. His justice and love, however, can shine when it's displayed as a result of men's choices. If people do wickedly, nobody stands back and thinks, well, God did wrong and all that. They can see when God throws a soul into hell for his rebellion against God and his choice of wickedness, we can stand back and say God was holy, right, and just. When God uh, sends somebody into an eternal glory because they have repented and they have believed on the name of the, of the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, to then be a substitutionary atonement in their stead and through the government of God be able to forgive them, then that brings glory to God and to his justice. So this subverts the, the foundation for all true religion. So thinking about predestination again and, and going through certain scriptural uh, portions, maybe some that uh, the Calvinists would use to try and uh, come up with their teaching, I'd like to go through some of those at least right now. Um, Acts 9.5, we read, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the prick. So this is on the Damascus road where Jesus appeared to Paul. And then Paul says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks, Paul. That's what's told them. And then how, the question is, how could Paul kick against the pricks if God predestined him and all of his choices? Paul 
it, it appears to be from the scripture was having inner conflicts with the claims of Christ and his own will before it resolved in his willing surrender to the Lordship of Christ. If it's the way that Calvinists say, then this statement of Jesus makes no sense. It should read, Paul would say, who art thou, Lord? And then the Lord says, I am Jesus, whom thou art persecuting because I made you do that. And it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks of conscience that I was making you kick against the pricks of conscience. And the conscience is also something that I was making you think also. So God is at odds with himself in the heart of a man somehow. This is complete absurdity, as you can tell. Pharaoh, many times it says, Pharaoh hardened uh, his heart. And then many times it says in the scripture, and this is back in Exodus, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So which is it, right? God sends grace to men sufficient to enlighten their mind and move their wills. At the same time, he supplies, yes, even ensures strength sufficient for their wills to resist this is part of his sovereign choice in spite of all the intellectual and moral force applied through grace. So the grace is there and able to be resisted. And we'll get to that at another time. I, Lord willing, I hope to go through Romans 9 uh, as one whole episode at a later time so that we can give it its proper um, treatment. Um, so defining predestination biblically, Arndt and Gingrich lexicon say that it is defined as to determine a point, to fix, to set to set limits to, to define, to explain. So predestinate means to determine, fix, define, or set limits in advance. The word does not inherently refer to persons or their internal destiny. The Calvinistic system says some are predestined to heaven and some are predestined to hell. However, Ezekiel 33, 11, it says, say unto them as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye. Turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? How can it be then God's good pleasure to predestine someone to hell in light of that declaration from God himself in Ezekiel? A.M. Hill said, it is moral lunacy to call such infinite wickedness glorious justice. And I couldn't agree more wholeheartedly. First Timothy 2.4, we read, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth? So it's not God's will that any, any wicked person should die and he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He said, why will you die? He didn't want him to die. And also we're told that it's God's will that all men should be saved. So either God's telling the truth or he's lying. But according to the Calvinistic framework, they have some very strange mental gymnastics answers to try and solve these problems. Romans 8, 29 and 30, we read, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. So according to this verse, predestination is according to foreknowledge and not the other way around as the Calvinists teach. We see the same sentiment in 1 Peter 1, 2 elect according to the foreknowledge of God. So we find that that is why. Predestination here has nothing to do with our eternal destiny, but our conformity to the image of Christ. Wesley said it well. 
as all that are called were predestinated, so all whom God has predestinated, he foreknew. He knew, he saw them as believers, and as such predestinated them to salvation, according to his eternal decree, he that believe it shall be he that believeth it shall be saved. Thus, we see the whole process of the work of God from the end to the beginning. Who are glorified? None but those who are first sanctified. Who are sanctified? None but those who are first justified. Who are justified? None but those who were first predestinated. Who are predestinated? None but those whom God foreknew as believers. Thus, the purpose and word of God stand unshaken as the pillars of heaven. He that believeth it shall be saved. He that believe not shall be damned. So Romans 11, 2, we read, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What ye or know ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, who, uh, uh, saying, and then I'm not going to say that part, but who did God herefore know according to that verse? Romans eleven four we read, but what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself even 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So who did God foreknow? He foreknew those that were elected by grace and not those merely elected as a nation. His knowledge is based off of believers. Here, foreknowledge and predestination are based on a distinction between those that love and believe God and those that don't. God's foreknowledge determines his election and predestination. And that's man's responsibility. God can't help but know it. Ephesians 1.5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Here, the predestination is not to eternal life, but to adoption. Uh, and then Ephesians 1.4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So we're not told here about a decree of unconditional election. We are told that from the foundation of the world, the followers of God were chosen to be holy and without blame before him in love through him adopting sinners and Gentiles into the family of God. There's nothing in these verses that makes the Calvinistic decrees of unconditional election a necessary interpretation. Then we look at Acts 13, 48. Uh, and when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. So for ordained here, uh, excuse me, the word ordained here is used eight times in the New Testament. None of those times um, is it speaking about predestination. By the way, uh, you could probably go to something like Bible Hub or Bible Gateway to check out all the things that I'm talking about. You can look at Greek lexicons. I'm not a Greek scholar. I have to look through all these things and study myself. Uh, you can get eSword, which is a, an amazing free tool. Go to biblesupport.com. You can get uh, more tools than even eSword itself is um, uh, puts out for download. You can get so many different things. And you can study this out yourself. And that's uh, through Esort is how I found this out. None of these times uh, where this same Greek word that is here translated ordained in Acts 13, 48, none of those times is it speaking about predestination. The word, as you look through the way it's translated in the New Testament, is not even consistently translated the same in English. There are several different meanings to that word ordained. Um, is according to the Greek. Um, and the context is what we use to decipher it. And even, you can understand that even in English. 
Context is king to help us define what's being talked about and even words at times. So Paul, according to the context, went to bring the gospel to the Jews at the synagogue and they rejected him and they rejected the gospel. He then informed them that he was going to the Gentiles. When Paul and Barnabas waxed bold in the 46th verse and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. So God had from the beginning ordained that Gentiles would be a part of this church. And among the Gentiles that were present, there were many who were disposed to eternal life and they laid hold of that eternal life by faith. So this should read as many as were disposed to eternal life believe. And this is confirmed that that interpretation is confirmed or translation by several Greek scholars. So where does that land us on all of that? Dear believer, the or dear listener, the sum of the biblical teaching then of predestination is this. Uh, Dale Yoakum said it this way. Concerning salvation, it refers to God's plan and purpose to save men from ruin through sin. His plan is to save those who place their trust in Jesus Christ and to allow others to be lost through unbelief. His decree is expressed in Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. None of you listeners are predestined to heaven or to hell, but the way has been predestined and through repentance and faith, you also can be a believer in Jesus Christ. Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or visit godsresistance.com or email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com and then say hello. I'd love to meet with you. Tell your friends about this broadcast. Tell your friends about the podcast, the website, the social media, but above all, Join the resistance, God's resistance. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons License. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.